24-year-old Jennifer Kessie disappeared January 24, 2006. She was last seen at her condo on Conroy Road. We to solve a missing persons case, which has haunted Orlando investigators. So we're still waiting for that one person to come through with the one bit of information that could bring Jennifer home. Welcome back to Unconcluded, a real-time investigation into the disappearance of Jennifer Kessie. I'm Sean Gerd. This is going to be a bit of an unusual episode, for us anyways. We'd actually considered not even calling it an episode because it's going to be almost more of an update than a full episode. In fact, it's going to be pretty brief. But we wanted to make sure that we put something out for all of you that are out there along with us. So while we continue to work on things that are more involved and take more time than just a week or two to put together, we're going to update you on something that we think is worth looking into and that we hope law enforcement will consider as well. Remember back to the episode titled On the Radar, we discussed some of the possible suspects in Jennifer's disappearance. One of those suspects was a co-worker of Jennifer's. We'd referred to him in that episode as the manager. By far, the most questions and comments we get all goes back to this specific individual. And that's not surprising. Remember, we've talked about how the internet has long pointed fingers his way. In the On the Radar episode, you heard about another coworker of Jennifer's that we called the employee. And this employee had allegedly made a complaint against the manager for harassment some eight years ago now. It was the contents of this complaint that went on to lay blame for Jennifer's disappearance on the manager. And if all of that's a little hazy, and just to make sure that we're all on the same page, let's replay just a little bit of that original episode. She had people wanting to date her. One, though, he's been on the, on the horizon since week one. He's in management. The guy wasn't getting the message that she doesn't date work people. She just wasn't that type of person who would get involved at work. Our advice to her was to have lunch with him within the work atmosphere and explain to him very politely that you do not date work. To my knowledge, she did do that. So the police have spoken to him? Multiple times, sure. That's Jennifer's parents speaking with Greta Van Susteren about this particular co-worker, who was a manager alongside Jennifer. But it wasn't just this romantic interest in Jennifer that made him a suspect. In 2010, a complaint was filed against this individual, and the information in that complaint was a bombshell. I've obtained a summary of that complaint that I'm going to read to you now. Just keep in mind that the names involved have been redacted. So I'm going to use the terms the employee and the manager where the redacted names appear in the letter. Also remember that this is a one-sided account. And we have no way of verifying if this actually happened other than this one particular person's complaint. The letter is dated January 19th, 2010. And it reads as follows. The employee made an appointment to file a complaint against his supervisor, the manager. During that conversation, he mentioned that the harassment began after the disappearance of Jennifer Kessie. He said that before she disappeared, the manager and Jennifer were involved, and that was common knowledge. The employee indicated that Jennifer had gone on a cruise 
and that the manager was very upset and angry and had told him, I don't know why she's hanging out with that guy. Why did she go with him on a cruise? The employee said that he would tell him not to talk about these things because the manager was a married man. The employee then stated that on Monday, when Jennifer did not come into work, the manager came in very late and everyone noticed. He saw that throughout the week, the manager seemed very preoccupied. When they spoke about Jennifer, the manager told him she must have been eaten by crocodiles by now. The employee told him not to say things like that, and the manager ignored it. The employee said that he did not tell the police about the manager coming in late because he was afraid what happened to Jennifer would happen to him. He stated that he almost had a heart attack when he was called by the police. He thought that perhaps he was being seen as an accomplice because the manager and he used to hang out together at work. I told the employee that he should have mentioned this to the police and also let them know that he feared for his safety. The conversation at this point returned to his complaint and he did not mention Jennifer Kessie again. The letter is then signed by the person who wrote the letter, whose name is also redacted. If you want a full refresher on all of it, you may want to just stop this episode and listen back to the entire On The Radar episode. Let's go back to where we're going with all of this. As you just heard in the replay, the allegations against the manager cast heavy suspicion his way. Claims of being late and implying Jennifer was in the water somewhere being eaten by crocodiles are likely to do that. But we can't forget that we know some of what the employee said in his complaint against the manager is untrue. We know the part about Jennifer taking a cruise is, remember, she flew to St. Croix. But this is easy to explain away as a simple mistake or a misunderstanding. But I'd also call into question the part about a relationship between the manager and Jennifer. And everything that we've learned over the months, this just seems very, very unlikely. Completely impossible? I'm not sure we can go that far, but it just doesn't hold a lot of weight. We'd pointed both of these inaccuracies out back in that earlier episode. But after that previous episode aired, we received some more information that we consider important. And if it's true, it calls more of these allegations by the employee into question. This information comes from a source that wishes to remain completely anonymous. Now, there always exists the possibility of information, disinformation, or any information not being factual. But that accuracy hinges on the truthfulness of the source in this case not who the source is, because we can verify that this individual would have access to the information that they are presenting. Additionally, we have no reason to think that they'd have anything to gain by being untruthful. So with those disclaimers out of the way, let's start with this. As you heard in the complaint against the manager, and as you've also heard from Jennifer's family in the cable TV specials, the manager was allegedly interested in Jennifer and had asked her out and Jennifer had turned him down. Now, maybe this is true, but apparently he wasn't the only one with an eye for Jennifer Kessie. According to the source, the employee who made the complaint against the manager, he was the one who was asking Jennifer out, and he was the one who was obsessed with her. And he's the one that everyone in the office, according to this source, thought was weird and creepy and made them feel uneasy. Now, if this is true, and we believe that it's quite likely it is, then it changes our understanding of this complaint to a degree. It makes us think about it just a little bit differently. 
intentions and motivations of the employee are called more into question at the very least. And without a doubt, it changes the perspective with which we have to consider his statements. But there's more where that came from. Because the source also tells us that the manager actually was not late to work the morning Jennifer was reported missing. And that that was a fabricated lie by the employee. Now this is a pretty big possible lie. Because the previously accepted quote-unquote fact by many who followed Jennifer's case was that the manager was late for work the morning of Jennifer's disappearance. Which would be a big red flag, obviously. He just happened to be late the morning she was reported missing. Extremely suspicious. But we're left now with the realization that maybe it's not a fact at all. And it was simply just accepted that way based on the statement that was made. A statement which is now continuing to be called into question. Because if all of these parts of the complaint were actually fabrications, then I think we have to start to call the entire statement itself into question. If all of the parts are made up, it's likely the whole thing is. As I mentioned, we don't have any reason to think that this information from the source isn't correct. But in fairness, we can't really corroborate it either. But let's suspend our questions and concerns for a moment and consider the source's information as fact. That the manager was not late to work and that the employee was in fact obsessed with Jennifer. What does it mean? Is it just a revenge plot against a perceived enemy in the manager? Why drag Jennifer into it at all? The whole thing just seems oddly specific for that. And if you're like me, from that point of view, it does the complete opposite. It now doesn't cast as much suspicion on the manager as it's now casting suspicion back onto that employee himself. Because why on earth would you make those claims to begin with? To what end? Was he projecting himself onto the manager? Does he himself know something? If what this source tells us is true, then there are a lot more questions that the employee needs to answer. With the apparent renewed focus from the police, we have to hope that they follow a similar line of thinking. We must also mention that even beyond the harassment complaint, we've heard about how this employee, not the manager, walked up to talk to the Kessies as they passed out flyers near the Huntington on the Green, and we've heard rumors about him showing up to help with the searches as well, although we can't confirm that. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. We've all seen enough FBI behavioral science TV shows to know that sometimes putting yourself back into those kinds of situations, well, that can be a clue in and of itself. Maybe we're overthinking the whole thing. Because are we saying that we think the employee is responsible for Jennifer's disappearance? No, of course not. It's going to take more than this. But we are saying that we sure would like to ask some questions. Hard questions, because we aren't saying that we know this person isn't involved either. Now, we've attempted to contact this individual and ask those questions. But those attempts have gone unanswered. Now, we know that the police and FBI looked into the manager at one point and no arrest has been made. So we're left with the assumption that at the very least, there wasn't anything to corroborate the employee's claims against the manager. But have the police and FBI looked into the employee himself? Or at least thoroughly? They're aware of him, sure, they'd have to be. But have they ever considered him someone worth pursuing? Have the hard questions been asked? Because that's the backside of the story that needs some fleshing out. Where was the employee the night of January 23rd? 
or the morning of January 24th. And there's some other things to think about too. Based on some real estate research, the employee had ties to two different apartments that were pretty close to Jennifer's condo back in 2006, both of them less than two miles away. Not only that, but if driving from one of those locations to Jennifer's condo, Northbridge Apartments would be at a point somewhat in between the two. Now, we haven't been able to confirm any of the Northbridge account. Remember, that's where a woman claimed to see Jennifer forced into a car, but it's something curious we came across as we examined the geographical information. And another of the locations that's tied to the employee was right next to Lake Eleanor, which came up in some of the searches for Jennifer. And it's also in the general area of Texas Avenue and Oak Ridge, which both should be familiar to you by now. All of these easily could be coincidences. But again, maybe they aren't. You want to hear something even stranger? Based on some information from a listener, we think that this employee also lived across the street from where Michelle Parker's car was found when she disappeared. She's another missing person who vanished from Orlando in 2011. Now, there's a prime suspect named in that case, but it's interesting to say the least. Back to the employee's claims about the manager and this new information that it might all just be made up. Scott and I had to talk about it. Yeah, so if, if that is true, so if we're taking that at face value, we're saying, okay, the source that we have is telling the truth and everything that they said is accurate. Uh, they're not embellishing anything. Um, it To me, it sort of leaves one of two possibilities. One is that the manager doesn't have anything to do with it or has very limited involvement in it. Or two, I think that it would have to put the um, timetable of everything happening at night. Because if he wasn't late to work, I don't think that it was possible that he was able to do all that stuff in the morning unless he was orchestrating it from somewhere. So I think it makes it, this information, if it's true, makes it a lot harder to tie the manager to anything that would have happened in the morning. So if we're going to assume that this person is still a, you know, subject of interest from the police department, then it sort of would shift the timetable to uh, at night, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. And and I think that one of the biggest reasons that a lot of people, you know, I mean, obviously the complaint in itself, like what that employee said about him is kind of, you know, I mean, it's all, it, it sounds really, I guess, damning or whatever, but really a lot of it was like, okay, he was late to work the morning that she disappeared. That's a huge red flag. And then we are apparently being told by a source that I think is is has no reason to to lead us in the wrong direction that it doesn't seem that like did it, yeah. not that did not happen. So if that didn't happen, then yeah, I mean it, it certainly is okay that maybe it's more. But I think the bigger question is why is this employee person uh, telling telling people that it happened if it didn't happen? Like to me, that that's the more relevant piece of this is that that person is, is making claims that possibly are just completely untrue. Yeah, it raises a lot of questions, you know, because you have two completely different stories at this point. You have the employee saying one thing, and you have this source who, again, we can reiterate, is a reliable in terms of where the information is coming from. Um, you know, we can't corroborate that, it, that this actually happened, uh, but the source is good as far as, you know, it's been checked out and everything like that. So um, 
it's two completely different stories. So now you're right. You have to wonder why is the employee potentially making this stuff up? What good does that do, especially because it was a few years later? It wasn't like they came forward with this information right away. So what was weighing on their mind? What's the reason behind it? Why is this person um, fabricating things to try to implicate somebody else? Uh, you know, it, it definitely brings up a ton of more questions and more things that I think have to be looked into. And and as, you know, we've talked about, and hopefully it is being followed up on. Well, to me, I mean, I'll be honest, to me that almost, and I think I'm going to talk about this kind of like in, in our episode, but I, I, to me it, it almost makes that the employee person seem more suspicious to me because – what what other reason do you have? What 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 would be the purpose of of making all of these allegations, assuming they're not true? Why why would you do that? I mean, you could try to get someone in trouble, but I mean, we're talking several years later. Why are we bringing Jennifer Kessie back into a, a complaint against someone that you're not getting along with? Or, I don't, it's so weird. It's really weird because then you know, and, and I think this is something you're going to talk about in the episode too. But there's been some instances where the manager has sort of been implicated as being the person involved in some stories over the years. And what it really sounds like is it's the employee that has done a few of these things that has been um, credited to the manager. So there's a lot of really fishy sort of um, peculiar things that have to be sort of looked at again because – if the manager isn't the one that all of this stuff is about, then you're right. Why is the employee inserting himself in three years later or four, three and a half years later or whatever it was to try to get attention onto somebody else? Um, you know, that you, you talked about red flags. That's a huge red flag to me. It, I mean, it, it, it sort of like flips everything on its head because for all this time and all everything that's been up on the internet has always been about the manager and he's been the one that's always mentioned and he's the one that's always sort of tied into all these little loose ends and now it sounds like with this information that maybe he's not involved in any of that stuff or very a very limited amount and the individual um that wrote the letter the employee is really the one that is tied into this way more than the manager is. And so I think that's where, um, you, you know, years and years and years of Internet rumors are potentially just completely flipped over. And, um, yeah, that's, that seems to be sort of a theme in this case, so it would not be surprising at all if that was true. Yeah, and I think something that, that always kind of stuck out to me, too, was that all of these – these, I guess we could call them allegations, right? They're against the manager, right? And they're all over the internet. Right. And right. they've been sent to, you know, Orlando police and, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And we've never uh, heard this person's name mentioned by Orlando police. There's never been any kind of arrest or um, a, a declaration of, of being a suspect or a person of interest or anything. So we, we have to assume that, that they didn't find anything that would link the manager to anything regarding Jennifer's disappearance. I mean, that's just basic 101 that if they had, that would be out there. So 
if we assume that that hasn't happened and all of this information from this employee in this letter, it just seems like there's a lot of of stuff that they would have to find on this person. And, and the fact that they haven't, I don't know, it almost gives sort of some viability or some um, some more weight behind kind of the possibility that, you know what, maybe the manager, maybe these things that were kind of in this complaint were just completely made up and the manager is not having any part of it. And I guess we could have considered that to start with, you know, maybe he's just saying it to get back of him. But it's just the details and the the specific kind of wording and language that the guy uses, it just, oh no, it seems, it seems just, it's too, it's too weird just to be a coincidence that he's just going to suddenly bring up Jennifer Kessie in this random thing. I don't know. Well, and because he brings it up so many years later after the fact, it's, you know, if, if this person would have come forward, you know, say a month or three weeks after Jennifer disappeared, then you have the ability to go to the place of business and ask them pretty simply, did the manager show up this day? Was he late? You know, I'm sure they would have had a record of it. Three and a half, four years later, you probably can't find that information out at this point unless they keep really, really tight records of when employees are there. And if this individual is a manager, then, you know, it may not be information anyways, but it's just the timing of the letter, the way things are spelled out in the letter, the specifics. It's just, you're right. Maybe we should have sort of caught this from the very beginning, but, you know, until some of that information came out and some of the source information that we got, and it, it was maybe not as plain for us to see because of everything that was online and because of all the finger pointing that was going on at the manager sort of distracts you from, uh, maybe looking at the bigger picture, and I think that's where people have been getting a little bit uh, maybe off base for years in this case, and, and, and I don't know. I think that it's we have to take sort of a fresh look at it at this point. Am I wrong in thinking that that if if these, you know, let, let's take these particular points, uh, and, and there was a couple other things too that, that – you know, this this source that we're calling them kind of told us, but these were the kind of main two takeaways, right, that, that the manager wasn't late and that it was the employee that was, you know, acting rude and, and hitting on Jennifer and all that stuff. So if we assume that, that that stuff's wrong and that that was incorrect in the complaint, I mean, am I wrong just to assume that, or maybe assume's not the right word, but it, it would call into question for me the entire complaint in itself. I mean, if if this part and that part are completely wrong, then, then for me, the whole thing's wrong. The crocodiles yeah, and all of that. Yeah. No question. No question. You can't – it's hard for us without having verification on any of it to just cherry-pick what we think is true and what we think isn't true. Now, it, in all honesty, it's probably regardless of which way the truth goes in the letter. It's probably not all fact. It's probably not all fiction. It's probably somewhere in between. But I don't think objectively we can sit there and say – that what's true and what isn't. And if we've now have information from a source that is telling us, like you said, the key details of the letter are false, we can't sit there then and assume that the stuff that the source doesn't discuss is still true. I mean, it really, really calls into question the validity of the entire thing. And, and to me, it, it, it erases 
the validity of it for me until I were to see something otherwise or have another source come forward with inside knowledge of it. I can't believe any of what this person wrote as of now. Well, what what about, though, in, in regards to, okay, so the allegations against the manager we can kind right. of throw out at this point, but what do you think about just the general idea of, of because, I mean, let's face it, the source is basically saying that some of the things in the letter that this person accused the manager of doing was actually what the employee was doing. So mm-hmm. uh, if you had to say, you know, at, at this point, one, one or the other, like who who would you lean to being the more likely person who may or may not have something or just may have something to do with Jennifer's disappearance? It, it's got to be the employee right now. The employee is acting a lot more guilty than the manager is acting. I'm not saying that anyone is guilty or that he's guilty or that the manager's guilty, but if you had to go just from perception, the perception is with this new information that uh, you're right. The employee is acting way more guilty in this situation, and the manager hasn't really done anything over the years to, except have his name out there everywhere online. Um, and a lot of that is because of the letter that we now have a source saying is not true. The key details that really dragged the manager into the whole thing is is completely called into question. So all these eight or nine years that the manager's name's been online is primary, not not all, but primarily because of the letter that was written saying that he showed up late, he made comments about alligators, um, he had a crush on Jen. Now, some of this, uh, people are going to say, well, Jennifer's dad came forward and talked about the manager and the crush and that Jennifer had to take him out to lunch and all this kind of stuff. So I, I still think there's some question marks. Um, I don't think we can completely write off the manager. I don't think we can say, no, sure. this clears him. Because you, you do still have Drew Kessy and what he has said over the years. He said it on TV and he said it on on our podcast. Um, so I think there's more questions now than there is answers, which is not surprising, but, um, well, yeah, I mean, I think here's where we sit. I think, I think prior to this information, it was the manager was involved. The manager was not involved. Those were kind of our two options, right? And so now we've introduced another element. So now now we have the manager's involved. The manager's not involved. The employee's involved. The employee's not involved. The manager and the employer involved. I, I mean, we have a lot of different combinations now because we've essentially, I think at this point, introduced another possibility into the mix, which you're right. And, and, I, and I've said this before. I, I feel like as we go along with, with, you know, this podcast or whatever, it, it seems like we, we open up more questions than we ever started with. And I think that's unfortunate because ultimately the goal is to start answering some of those questions. But broadening the the horizons or the possibilities, I think that we can't not do that. That has to be done. Yeah, you can't just avoid it because it doesn't sound right or it doesn't it doesn't fit with whatever narrative maybe is, you know, on our minds. I think that's what we've set out to do this entire time is not neglect anything just because maybe it doesn't fit. 
And that's why I think we've stayed so open-minded with it as well, and we haven't really taken one track or the other and said, this is really what we think happened, and this is why we think it happened, and here's some evidence to support it. It's really been, okay, let's take in everything we can, including phone calls from Tennessee, phone calls from Orlando, phone calls from wherever, and then let's weigh it all against what's already out there. Well, what we found out is stuff we have coming in contradicts stuff that's been out there for a decade. And so I think to write anything off, and that's what I'm saying, we can't write off the manager either. Even if we were to get confirmation on this, we still couldn't write them out, I don't believe. Because there is still information out there from Drew saying that he had a big-time crush on Jennifer, and Jennifer had to take him out to lunch to basically turn him down. Um, and this is, of course, coming from Jennifer to Drew. So we have no way of... of As always, thank you for listening and participating. Jennifer Kessie has been missing for 12 years, and the search continues. Each one of you is important in keeping that search going. If you think you may know something about Jennifer's disappearance, if you saw something strange on January 23rd or 24th, 2006, if you know someone who looks like that person of interest image, please call the Orlando Police Department. Ask to speak to Detective Teresa Sprague and help change the course of this investigation. Bring Jennifer home. Also, just a reminder that there's a petition circling on the internet for OPD to open up their records to the Kessies, to allow the Kessies to have their private investigators help search for Jennifer. If you have a moment to sign that, it just shows solidarity behind the Kessies' efforts. Scott and I are going to put together a sidebar episode and get that out to you in a couple weeks. We have some non-podcast stuff going on next weekend, but we'll be sure to get that out the following weekend. We've gotten so many emails and calls that it's been a challenge to keep up with. So apologies to those of you who haven't been able to respond to, but know that we got them and we'll be addressing them in the next sidebar. Until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you.